Yeah, yeah. The pace we're making really makes a change. Yeah. And if you ain't joining, I don't wanna know your name. Forever fighting for my people, fighting for his people, preaching that we're equal. Yeah, preaching that we're equal. Right. I just wanna make the world a brighter, better place. Black tiles on Instagram, such a waste. It's more than hashtag to show that we suffer good. You are listening to Speaking On It, which was produced in Chipotok. Chipotok is within Big Monkey, the traditional, unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Mi'kmaqi is a part of the Peace and Friendship Treaties, which was signed between 1752 and 1779. Hello, I'm your host, Aaliyah, and welcome to Speaking On It, a podcast that explores the intersections of race and gender by highlighting the experiences of BIPOC folks in our community. This podcast was created by a group of youth in Jabuktuk under Apathy's Boring's RISE initiative. The RISE program is designed to help young people find ways to co-create projects by engaging with their communities on topics that they are passionate about. I hope you enjoy. So to introduce this podcast and the concept of speaking on it as a whole, I think it's really important to acknowledge that race and gender on their own are two very important topics. But the fact of the matter is, the two intersect, and we can't separate them. Over the course of the past four months, I have had the amazing opportunity and ability to work with some awesome folks, some of which you will hear in interviews to follow. Welcome to episode two. Today, we will be talking to Kartik, Carmel, Margua, Chuvo, Arthi, and Francesca. Our first guest is Carmel, and they will be talking about racism and transphobia in the Halifax community, and how the pandemic has allowed people with privilege and power to see that our systems are not working. Hi, my name is Carmel Farahbash. Uh, my pronouns are they and them, and I am the executive director of the Youth Project. And the Youth Project is a multi-service provincial organization that works to support and provide resources to uh, and for 2S LGBTQIA plus youth under 25. And that work shows up in a myriad of ways, uh, ranging from resource development to workshops to supportive peer spaces and social spaces um, and a whole bunch of other ways that we work alongside our community partners and our funders uh, to create hopefully tangible based resources that create uh, a more safer and more equitable uh, province for 2S LGBTQIA plus youth. Do you experience any racism in your in your communities? So you talk about the intersectionalities between your racial identity and then your gender identity and then the intersectionalities within that realm? Yeah, I think, I mean, of course the answer is yes, because we mm-hmm. live um, in a society that I think is really invested in upholding white supremacy or the idea that, um, or like the falsehood that we have an equal playing field in the context of of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah. Short answer: Yes. I think um, the way in which that shows up is increasingly insidious, as we also live um, in a in a culture that is really equipped with um, ways to have polite conversation, ways to. Um, utilize language as a way to silence and appease. Um, And so it can become very hard to identify the ways in which that shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think uh, some examples of 
racism generally in 2S LGBTQIA plus communities are through the lack of representation. So you go to a, an event and every performer is a white queer person or a white trans person, or um, you, you know, try to try to have conversations around faith and queerness and it's shut down um, and I understand that there's complexities there and I understand that people have various relationships with faith but there has to be a more um, expansive I guess understanding of, of how we can hold all of those pieces and mm -hmm. I think that there is a lot of um, so I guess my idea is about this is that there's a lot of fear around naming the ways in which communities that we carve for ourselves are imperfect. So mm -hmm. to us LGBTQIA plus people, like a lot of those folks have various strained and also sometimes non-existent relationships with biological family for a variety of hard reason. So when you come together to create a community, you want it to be perfect, you want it to succeed, you want it to be home. And when there is the um, inherent reality of oppression, it can feel so hard to face it because it feels like your community has failed. It feels like your community is just enacting the same harm that these systems that have failed you have. Uh, and that can feel really heartbreaking. So I think that there's a lot of resistance to name that there is racism, just as though there is like, even though it can be, feel so palpable and so tangible, like you look around who's in a room and who's represented and you see that reality of race and racism. Um, gender is not seen in a way that I think allows any of us to be free. Like I think that the way in which we perceive gender um, is detrimental to every single person. It is so rigid, it is so static, it is so um, like, you know, directed through power differential. Um, so of course, transphobia is a symptom of that, you know, a symptom of misogyny, a symptom of white supremacy, a symptom of the ways in which we understand, you know, um, our success to look like as a society. So yes, definitely. Um, I think it looks like a lot of different things. It looks like interrogation about my gender identity. It looks like um, expectations pertaining to my the perceived notion of my gender identity. It's it looks like so many different things. Like it can look like in my you know, to us LGBTQIA plus community, it can look like an assumption around masculinity, which feels also like an imposition. Mm -hmm. um, and then in my cultural community, it can look like a lot of questions or a lot of fear or nervousness or um, discomfort or misunderstanding um, because people don't know how to interact with me or it can look like um, people not knowing what gender I am and and then feeling really embarrassed or like scared to talk to me <laughs> um and uh usually I love being gender confusing <laughs> but um it does feel more complicated when I want to create a connection with somebody and that and that might feel like a barrier for them in my cultural community but I also have a lot more space um I have a lot more space when I'm talking to a person of, uh, from a cultural community around the way that they're perceiving me. Um, and then of course our healthcare system is really messed up. And so I think the most difficult experiences of transphobia have been in trying to access gender affirming care in a way that is um, 
understanding of nuance. Um, that's been very heartbreaking. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've been on testosterone for over a year and a half, and that process was really hard, like very, very hard. So I think there's this ingrained um, violence in our medical system that will take a lot to shift. Um, I'm very excited to be alive right now and also very afraid. And I think that's kind of like the feeling of, of being in the world right now, I think for a lot of people. Generally, people are more aware of systems failure because maybe for the first time in their life, it's impacted them. So for the first time in their life, they may be thinking about, oh, our medical system is not equipped to hold any of us in crisis or oh my gosh like our social system can't support people who need financial support because they don't have access to employment and while these are conversations that marginalized folk have been trying to have uh since time um that have been led by black uh and indigenous community um specifically pertaining to indigenous sovereignty and black liberation the rest of the world who has not had to navigate that because of privilege and power are realizing that there is so much truth um, and importance in those calls for action. So I don't know if it is that people have more empathy. I think it is unfortunately that people have had firsthand experience of systems failure. And I wanna believe in my heart that that allows for understanding that, that uh, exists beyond self so that people are starting to understand that if they are experiencing um, systems oppression, that absolutely their neighbors are and absolutely people who they are not even in correspondence with because of their differential experiences are experiencing tenfold. So um, yeah, I mean, that's not as hopeful as, as I would hope, but I do think that it, it, it that seems true to me. Thank you, Carmel, for sharing your insight. Up next, we will be talking with Kartik. Kartik is going to share how he perceives gender and what community means to him, racism in different communities in Nova Scotia, and what we need to unlearn. What are three words that come to mind when you think of race and when you think of gender? It is a really good question because, yeah, it's like this whole picture in your head, you just have to put them in three words. How would you define love? Because love is not an emotion. But then people say love is unconditional and all like all those words that associated um, at the same like i'm just trying to think if i want to put them down in three words um i think i'll start with gender i'll say expression again you cannot put in into a bubble or a box it is fluid you can express uh the way you want to express yourself it's colorful mm -hmm cannot just put one color in it. There's a lot of colors, rainbow. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say, these are these some words um, that I, I wanna use. Because 
I can I can say community um, as people like who I feel connected with. Let's say my friends or people I know from back from India who are moved here. That's my community. But at the same time, I am also a part of or a member or a part of a queer community as well. When it comes to racism, I won't say that I feel racism in terms of when I'm talking about community that is like people that I know, those are from India. Um, but at the same time, I feel a little shy sometimes to express myself, my uh, sexuality, uh, because I'm not sure if they're, they'll be open to that. But with time, I have gained this confidence. I was like, well, that's their choice. I am who I am. This is who, this is who I am. So if you don't want to accept me, that's fine. My choice is to so that's that part. Part is um, the LGBTQIA2 plus community. Um, sometimes I think it's more to do with the online. I have felt uh, racism because um, again, like person of color. But then at the same time, this community really helped me. I had made a lot of really good friends whom I can like count on them. So them and they're being really supportive uh, to what I've done and what I do. So it is, it is a mix of both. And even that mix is both. Bo the mix is there in both the communities. But I'll, I will personally say, after moving to Canada, I personally had a good experience. Uh, but I've, I know people uh, who had not that great experience like me, as in they had faced racism, they had struggle they had struggled i just i just consider myself lucky i don't know um, but then definitely i think it's about reaching out to people having the community having those friends to be there have that support group and having that confidence i think these are really important key parts which i had in my life personally after moving here friends whom i can count on I have I have friends or sort of family where I can express myself and they're open to listen to me. So it, it's just I won't say it's always pleasant, but at the same time I know people who didn't have that great experience. Following up with that, what do you think must be unlearned and relearned about race and gender? Unlearned the um, 
okay, I was just going to his say history. No, I won't say that because it is important to know about the history. Unlearned what you have learned in a way that this, this, for example, this uh, something A needs to be done in this pattern. You need to unlearn that. Just try to be open, be mindful. Just like, just look around. The, the world is huge. At the same time, world is very small. Mm. We do meet people and then, uh, and then we say this world is very small. But just be mindful about what you see and question. Question that if this thing brings me joy, but that doesn't mean that that is hurting somebody. Thank you, Kartik, for sharing your personal experiences and perspective with us. It's been a pleasure to learn about your life in India and how your life is in Canada now. Our next guest's name is Marwa. On her way to becoming an academic and an activist, she will be talking to us about how her life has been since she immigrated to Canada as a refugee, her experiences connecting with community members and working amongst them. Please stick around. My name is Marwa. I'm 19 years old and I'm from Syria. This is my first year at Dell Housing University. Mm. What are you studying at Dell Housing? I'm studying, I'm doing major mm -hmm. in international development, undergrads, four years, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to do international law. I've been here almost five years. I think here because there's a lots of Muslim mm -hmm. people, so I think like this is the I can raise my voice and talk uh, in freedom. Like I can do everything, working, uh, raising voice, even if they are like there's. There's a big community, Muslim community, so... So you didn't like face racism in your community back home, right? No. Or, no. Yeah. As so, a Muslim? Yeah. No. Yeah. Even if someone, like, have a different origins, they never face as a racism. It was a church there mm -hmm. in Syria. Like, we, we don't. They, they face, like... The people look at the color, face color. Like if someone black yeah. coming to Syria, like they will treat them bad. They would treat them differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I think, I think because they're like their color. But here, they are like the black people. Very nice. I have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. I don't know why the community, like, the way how they think, there's a lot of people, like, even here, like, some white people don't like Muslims, some white people, they don't 
keep black people. There is a lot of racism. There is a lot of racism because we are, we came here as a refugee and they Justin Trudeau helped us. They said, oh, you took our land. They took the Mi'kmaq land like that. You know, it's, they think that they are coming to take their land. And Justin Trudeau keep bringing Syrian people. So that's why, that's one, another one, that they don't like us. Mm -hmm. Some of them, not all of them. I have a lot of uh, really good friends. What do you think are barriers that other maybe um, Syrian refugees might face here being in Canada and completely being in a different environment, you know? Muslim or Syrian? Both. I think the language. The language. The language they don't have. Uh, even the, the school. Like it's... There's a lot of support, mm -hmm. but they feel they still feel that's still hard mm -hmm. because we came from war, and it was like lots of challenging, and they can't. Some people, they're like the way how they think, everything changed. They know every, they saw guns, they saw like bloods, they saw all kind of things, so they can't. They can't focus on study. They try to be like away. This is, I think, this is the challenging. Thank you, Marwa, for taking the time to tell us about your life in Canada. Up next, we will be joining Chuba for a conversation where he will be talking about what describes him as a person, his experiences living in Canada as an immigrant, and what his sense of belonging feels like. If I had to describe myself in three words, I would use honest, festive, and theatrical. Theatrical mostly because I love, I love the theater. I love theatrics. I love performance, and I love performative arts. I love musicals. I love performing any piece of music. I I love dancing. I love any sort of performative arts. I find it's. It's a great connection between the subconscious, the conscious, the discipline, and just overall passion altogether. Almost everyone who knows me, I think, can attest to the fact that I am a very theatrical human. When it comes to telling stories, it's something that I has inherited from my family, you could say. Honest is being true to yourself. It's about setting boundaries and also setting deserving goals. Being able to tell someone you don't enjoy their company. Being able to tell someone you love them. Honest also means allowing yourself to be upset when you have upsetting things going on in your life. When you see something upsetting, not using the word funny to describe it. Honesty also means being able to know where you are with things, with people with your goals, with your missions, and being able to be true to yourself and not deny yourself. And how theatrical plays around with honesty. 
I believe it's it allows you to enjoy where you are with your honesty and allows you to play with it instead of being burdened with it instead of taking it too seriously it allows you to celebrate your boundaries instead of being bounded by them it allows you to look forward to your goals instead of being overwhelmed by them when you're playing around you're not being dishonest to yourself it's more of the honesty that takes over at that point and you enjoy yourself and you allow yourself to really bask in in that freedom thing that you might be theatrical about maybe a fictional thing but you know it's a representation of your honest self it is an embodiment of your honest self and it is uh yeah portrayed by your best self all of this really stems from the fact that i was uh born and raised bengali in our culture it is really important to hold art and community uh as a priority we are also a country that uh fought a war around uh language and you know it's a really important thing that hasn't happened anywhere else in the world um so for us we hold our culture our neighbors um things that bind humans together really really close to our hearts uh which is why i think you can definitely find me uh, being a very social human however being a social human i did find that there's not exactly a place here in halifax that i can exercise all of my identities uh the place where i do get to exercise my cultural identities i don't get to exercise my identities that's around being queer or being an artist even sometimes um in in places where i do get to express myself fully as an artist as a queer person i don't see any resemblances that is close to my culture that may be a strange thing but that is my reality in in a lot of ways and i'm not sure i'm pretty sure i'm not the only one who feels this way or is experiencing the world this way you know it can be taken as a point of loneliness or not being able to find yourself or a place for belonging but it is also a dialogue around how dynamic we are as people and it goes to show that all of our experiences that we've accumulated all of our life makes us a very unique individual for me finding individuals with such unique lenses is not always easy but there's a lot of us there's a lot of folks that i grew up with who share these um very unique ways of living understanding and interacting you know they're also interacting with different worlds altogether and uh the friends that i grew up with we're pretty much spread around the world and yeah it is always special when we you know meet up because uh we're that's that's the sort of friends that i know that we all speak similarly different languages like you know we all speak four four to five languages we all have uh you know progressive way of thinking about the world which you know addresses 
Western and Eastern philosophies, uh, politics, uh, and isms of all kinds. So if you, the person listening to this podcast right now, if you are Bengali and uh, you are a musician or an artist, uh, please reach out to me because I'd love to hang out with you. When it comes to calling Halifax home, it is home right now. It has become my home. I'm very lucky to have uh, the folks that I have in my life in this city. It wasn't a planned situation, though. I was uh, only supposed to come here, study, and go back. Um, but things changed. Uh, I worked as a journalist, and I was supposed to be working as a journalist and, um, you know, in the NPO's sector. But... Uh, Around 2014 and 15, there was a lot of uh, cases that was going on in Bangladesh where a lot of journalists and bloggers were attacked because of uh, speaking out against uh, extremist behaviors. That made me rethink about my decisions about of moving back home um, and you know making my life there. Because at that point, I was uh, just in my mid 20s and. Uh, you know, I wanted to give myself a fighting chance of uh, making something out of myself. And I didn't know if I was really cut out for, uh, yeah, like facing such extreme behaviors. And uh, especially someone who is queer, someone who is a Hindu minority and also indigenous uh, to, you know, Bengali sovereignty. It is, um, it's all kinds of, safety issues that I couldn't see myself being able to fathom. I hope I do get to, you know, go back home and uh, do all of those things one day. Um, but yeah, like it's, uh, Halifax has been a place where I started being an artist. And that's huge for me because uh, this is basically a place where I became a confident artist with the help of some really, really supportive peers, fellow artists, everyone that I met throughout my journey, the good, bad, the ugly, like have played a part in allowing me to be the artist that I am. I've learned a lot of lessons. I've learned a lot of, lot of things over the past five, six years. And I can proudly say that I am a practicing artist here in Kajipoktuk. And this is a very wild thing for me to say because, you know, I've, 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 I've played music since I was five years old. But being able to say that I'm a practicing artist, it wasn't something that was actualized till I really started you know, living in this province, which was very different from the first few years when I was here to like 2009 till 14. It was uh, mostly academia, school, you know, and then uh, kind of go back home at some points or go traveling or find job, you know, that was that was life. And after 2014, I think uh, there was this awakening, I would say, for the lack of a better word, that made me want to... Um, give myself the room to become the artist that I wanted. And I started looking around, uh, found great resources. Canada is really good for that. You know, there's still work to be done, but there's a lot more resources than I would have 
found um, back in Bangladesh when it comes to you know grants when it comes to hubs when it comes to networking I'm just mostly trying to make the best of what I have Thank you Chuo for sharing your experiences and perspectives with our listeners Up next we have Arthi She will be sharing her perspective on identity how to hold oneself when faced with racism and discrimination how her race have shaped her gender identity and how she views herself as a strong Tamil woman. What are three words that come to mind when you think about your race and your gender? I'd say um, agency, um, strength, and definitely community. So, um, I remember um, there was one time, you know, short hair is not something that very commonly are associated uh, with someone who looks like me. So I remember there was one time when I uh, was having a, an interaction with someone who I would generously call uncle. Um, they felt threatened with my presence and the, with, with the way I carry myself. And in a jovial moment, and here I'm using the quote um, with my fingers, in a jovial moment, they actually slapped the back of my neck. And I remember being so pissed and angry because it did not only physically hurt, but it also really undermined um, my agency as a woman, but also my individuality and my presence as a human being in that space. And um, I remember accidentally um, cursing. And um, at that moment of time, I said to that person that that is not okay. Please do not ever do that again. And um, I walked away from that scene. I never like said like that was okay. I didn't like laugh it away. Like I said that that was not okay and I'm not gonna be trying to like placate it. So I remember walking away and then after that, um, having a conversation with um, family members who were present at that moment, several days or months later, I can't quite remember. And I spoke especially with the young women who were present in the space because I was very intentional about um, knowing how it affected them and like about what they saw and what necessarily they picked up. That was very important for me. And I remember speaking to this one young woman who said, I was shocked when he cursed and told the person that it was not okay. Because if I was in that space, I would have not been able or be daring enough to do that for myself, to uphold myself. And that's when I realized how important it is for us to be aware of like how we hold ourselves and how we are um, impacting the people around us in moments like those when we are experiencing racism or sexism or being othered in a society that we are always often seen as not belonging to, um, just because other people have a certain idea or extremely conservative idea about what a woman should be like, could be like, could talk like, um, what their knowledge system could look like, or what they think someone who from a different race has the capability of. Um, so that's when I was like, 
for me, moments like those can be an extremely empowering one. But there are also moments when I've walked away and I felt like it was not a safe space for me to have been able to talk. Unfortunately, I struggled with like experiences of racism in terms of like relationship with the supervisor or um, the relationship with like folks in the space. Um, I remember during the first few months when I would like um, present myself in the way that I used to back at my home country, i.e. like physically, um, nobody would pay attention to me. I was not seen a legit um, legitimate owner of knowledge or as someone who's here as a, an equal partner uh, in terms of like seeking knowledge in any university they are enrolled in. And I remember, um, of course, as we make certain purchases to be able to adapt to the weather um, here, like my style slightly changed because I was buying clothes from here. And all of a sudden, <laughs> things were different. These were the same people that I have been living with for the past half a year. Um, now that I think about it, it's funny. And now all of a sudden, I was seen as this legitimate person who um, still talking about the same kind of things I was talking six months ago, but all of a sudden, because of the way I look like in terms of clothing and in terms of like the kind of things that I'm involved in, I, I'm like suddenly a lot more legitimate. I am considered a minority in terms of race back in my own country. So um, when I came here, that was not something new to me. And in terms of like how it affected my gender identity, I've always had to work extra hard to be seen as, again, to use the word legitimate. And um, getting a scholarship was very difficult. Um, I had to be excellent in everything I do in order to get the scholarship that I would potentially enable me to have an overseas education. Um, in terms of that, I knew like my parents did not tell me that um, because of like who you are, uh, you can achieve whatever you want. They have always been extremely realistic with us. They said in order to be able to succeed in the society that we call our home and our community, you need to be able to give beyond your best because otherwise you will not be seen because of your race. How would you identify yourself? in terms of uh, gender? I would say at the moment I'm going by she and her and they and them. And um, in terms of like gender, I've extremely been uncomfortable with like a specific type of like connotation in terms of like what a female could look like, like a woman can look like. I would say physically I represent as like a straight person, a straight woman but um i've been troubled by folks who assume certain um characteristics that go with that which is why i challenge it and um i'd always say like i'm someone who is kind of like a bit over the spectrum if not like um on either or for example i'm sure you have seen a lot of like iterations on um the social media around like how if someone calls a woman bossy, it basically means you're assertive. So that is an example that I'm talking about. Like, I feel uncomfortable with folks who, because say I wear a bindi, or in my own language, it's called putte, 
or and because like I'm spiritual, they assume that I'm a gentle feminine. And then they listen to me open my mouth and then they're like, wait, what? <laughs> or like they see like my clothing when I wear a sari or when I wear um uh chudidar, they just think that, oh, this woman is quite feminine. Um, and in like my language would say, basically the light of the house. Um, but then like they'll listen to me talk and that's when, you know, it triggers like their dominance. And that's when the slap on the neck happens. It's basically putting her back into the space where she belongs or where she needs to belong. So these are some of the reasons why I've always felt like I do not necessarily um, fit in, quote unquote, into the traditional understanding of what a female looks like. For me, it's always beyond that. I don't believe that one person has like a very neat level of like labeling in terms of who they are. And to myself, I use my pronouns as a, as a way to remember that about any persons, even if they go by she or her, even if they go by he or him, I always remember that if at any point they decide to go beyond that, that I need to be able to respect that. So that's when like the transition when I'm like with my friends who are currently using, say from he to him or she to her, slowly transitioning into they or them or both, it helps me to be able to acknowledge and recognize those transitions and be respectful of that space. Thank you, Arti, for sharing your challenges and strengths with our listeners. Up next, we will be hearing from Francesca. Today, she will be talking about her experiences living in Nova Scotia, connecting with her Nigerian community, cultivating her self-worth and self-love, and how it helps to find peace, joy, and pleasure no matter where you are. Do you believe you experience more overt or covert racism here? I believe I experience in Nova Scotia more covert racism, um, particularly like Misogynoir. Noir. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's like a politeness, <laughs> which, you know, happy days, you know. I come from a city where people are polite or nice, but they are kind, and you know where you start, you stand. And there's no masks, you know. And here it feels like there's a lot of like a culture of niceness and keeping everything in order. Um, but then there's like a festering hatred underneath. <laughs> Do you find there are barriers still like that you face um, in fully expressing your gender or race? And where in your life do these barriers feel more prominent? Um, less so now um, because I work because the my the, the two day jobs I have and then the creative work I do, there's a lot more like critical awareness. Um so so yeah, for sure different now, but in previous employment, in pre previous academic settings, um I've had to like watch myself, so to speak. I've had to be on my, you know, be on my P's and Q's. Um I'm thinking of a, an old uh previous workplace where um, uh, a colleague was just very blatantly racist and accused me of being hostile and aggressive in a situation where she herself was um, hostile and aggressive. And it was funny to me, her choice of language. 
um, because I, I wasn't hostile and aggressive. I was sad. <laughs> and so her choice and language, there was no room for me to be like, the reason you've chosen the, these words is because I'm black is because you've been programmed to believe that black people are aggressive and dangerous. And so when you look at me expressing any emotion, your program, your racist programming makes you see a threat. I couldn't have that conversation with her, you know, because (laughs) she would just be like, I would be like a talking chicken to her, you know, she's like, what are you saying? Um, so definitely face that, um, yeah, in previous workplaces, and, and I expect it. I expect to face that. I feel very much like I'm in a bubble right now in terms of my current work. I feel like I'm in a bubble with my community, but I expect that when I step out of that, um, I will be faced with like anti-blackness and like um, rigid ideas of gender. And as a queer person, I'm a cis woman and I'm femme. And so that doesn't rock the boat because that is the expectation, right? Um, but I have other people in my life who are trans who like, good God, like the shit they face is, I, I can't, it's, it's too much. It's nonsense. <laughs> is there a certain place in the community where you feel most heard and accepted Hmm. I guess always with like racialized people um particularly unfortunately I wish it was different but with queer racialized people you know because I'm thinking the Nigerian community here I'm not a big part of because I'm afraid I'm afraid of homophobia um but like with racialized queer people trans people you know, people who are invested in unlearning oppression, there, I just feel like there's so much more space and it's, there's so much more space to exist and be free and also space to learn, to be held, to like be lovingly held accountable and taught versus like dismissed because I don't know something, you know. (laughs) What advice would you give to individuals not necessarily just youth because you know people can find themselves at any age Mm -hmm. who are struggling with finding a community whether that be online or in person in which they can come into their own identity well I think like it's important to like have like a base self like cultivate like a sense of like I don't want to say like self-worth or self-love but I just know what I know now is like I have walked into dynamics um without self-love and self a sense of self-worth or self-esteem and um yeah entered into dynamics that were harmful to me because I was just like, well, I'll just take anything, like anyone that will have me, please, you know, <laughs> but kind of, you know, whatever it takes to cultivate a sense of self-love, self-esteem on your own. Um, so that when you're walking into a place, you know that you have, you have something to offer and you have a right I know worth receiving goodness as well. Um, because not every community is healthy. 
not every group or group dynamic or whatever is healthy and loving of yourself and or loving period and so I think coming into things with a sense like just a baseline of like I love myself these are the things that are I will not accept these are things that I will accept and so when you sense something when you see something when there's a pattern of shittiness you're like okay I can't no thank you I can step out and also to be open-hearted enough to be like when there's a pattern or when you notice something being able to say like hey I'm sure your intention wasn't to hurt me but I need to let you know what the impact is and if you want to continue to be in this relationship or in this dynamic or in this community with me this has to change you know yeah, I just know, I just know how much harder it is when you're like against your own self, how much harder it is to like believe that you are worthy of like just nice things and nice people. <laughs> so that's why I'm like focusing on the self. And I don't mean it's in an individualistic self-obsession type of way, but in a way of like, you're the only person you have to live with for your entire life. Um finding peace and pleasure and joy in who you are so that no matter where you go, no matter what community you are part of or seek to be a part of, you're okay. I feel like this has been a very well-rounded discussion. Thank you so much though for oh, agreeing to do Thank you. I was so happy when I saw your face. All right. Once again, and for the last time, I'm your host, Aaliyah. Thank you so much for joining us on Speaking On It. I would like to give a great big thanks to Acthes Boring for sponsoring this and the Rise Project as a whole. I would also love to give a great big thanks to all of the wonderful people we've had speak on this podcast and all of the community members who helped make this possible.